A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science, with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey everyone, and thank you for listening to the Liverboard Sailing Podcast. I appreciate you tuning in every week. As usual, an extra special thank you to everyone who is supporting the show on Patreon. If you like the show and find it provides value and want to help keep it going, check out the Patreon link in the description. Here's what's coming up next on the Liverboard Sailing Podcast. So that's the kind of motivation for us is to be able to share our experience of working in this space with communities that are at risk. And it just so happens that the three areas of the globe where climate impacts on the coast are going to be most felt are in the Arctic, in the Caribbean, and in the Pacific. And those are the areas where we're heading on our way back to New Zealand. Welcome to the podcast. I am your host, Annika. On the Liverboard Sailing Podcast, I chat with awesome people who live, work, and travel on their sailboats. My guests share inspiring stories and real-life advice about the lifestyle so that you and I can be better prepared for our sailing adventures. Welcome to today's episode of the podcast, where I am thrilled to introduce my guests Nigel and Veronica and their exciting new project called the Novara One Planet. In this episode, we'll be discussing their journey to support at-risk coastal communities to become climate safe, using their sailing vessel Novara as the main platform. Nigel and Veronica have just embarked on a years-long journey from the UK to New Zealand, sailing through some of the world's most remote coastlines, including Greenland, the Canadian Arctic, and the South Pacific Islands. Nigel and Veronica are two professionals who have taken their careers in a new direction, quite literally, as they make their way back home to New Zealand. So join me as we dive into their incredible journey ahead, 
and learn more about their inspiring project. So here we go with Nigel and Veronica. Tell me about your boat, you know, one of the stars of this whole project. Uh, and since we are in a sailing podcast, you always got to talk about boats. So tell me about Novara. What kind of a brand, age, size, pedigree does she have? So Novara is a very special vessel. I guess everyone says that, don't they? But um, Novara is a Bestivar 60C. So she's 60 feet long, an aluminium centerboard schooner built for ice conditions. So she's ice reinforced at the bow. She's four centimeters, 40 millimeters thick of aluminium at the bow. Um, she has double the stringers. So the ribs that go down the boat, uh, there's twice as many as you'd have on a normal boat. Uh, 20 mil thick aluminium hull at the keelson, 10 mils to the waterline, eight mils above and then six mils of, uh, for the deck. So very strong aluminium construction. She's also in interesting because she's an aero rig design. So she's got self-rotating masts with fixed yards. We have two of them, both of them 20 meters tall. Um, we carry a lot of sail area for downwind sailing. But the thing with the aero rigs is that being freestanding carbon fiber um, they're very flexible and we can depower them very easily so all we have in the cockpit are two main sheets one for each of the masts and if we want to depower we can just release the main sheets and the the yards the whole ma whole mast rotates into the wind and weather cocks so it's ideal for high latitude sailing in extreme conditions where we need to be able to control the power and the sails quick notice she was designed by um, dextra marine their, their famous expedition yacht naval architects and built in 1997 in the km boatyards in makum in the netherlands it's the same place where they're building the pelagic boats of skip novak so she's got very strong pedigree um, and we have been We've owned her since October last year, but we've been working with the past owner for more than 18 months on board, learning how she works, which is quite an unusual boat with the aero rigs and the complex engineering. She's a one-off, right? So uh, it's taken us quite a long time to get to know the boat. Yeah, I bet there is a bit of a learning curve to that, and she sounds like a, and looks like a wonderful boat from the photos that I have seen on your website and online. And it sounds like, from what I gather, that the the boat does have a bit of a expedition history already with the previous owners that you've now been working with as well. Can you tell me a little bit about that, and then we can dive into all the fun stuff that you'll be doing with her. When she was first built, her first expedition was to Svalbard, and then. Uh, I don't know if that was uh, over summer or winter or whatever. That was uh, Knopfler. What was the name of the guy, Nigel? Wally Knopfler. Wally Knopfler. And, um, and then she was purchased by an American. And so she did shorter trips, but based in Maine for a while. And then Steve Brown saw her for sale and purchased her about eight years ago, is my understanding. And um, from there, Steve took Navarra 
uh, from Maine through the Northwest Passage and basically circumnavigated the Americas and also did a trip to South Georgia where he reenacted the um, Shackleton climb over South Georgia. So she has had experience in all seas, all weathers, and yeah, basically she's got a huge pedigree for being able to go anywhere. She's able to be independent for months at a time, um, and that makes her very suited to being an expedition yacht. Yeah, she's certainly proven herself already, mm. uh, even before you bought her, which I'm sure was one of the reasons you did buy her. Uh, but w what kind of sailing backgrounds do you two have? The boat is great, but what about you two? <laughs> um, not much. <laughs> Is the answer to that? Uh, um, somebody asked me the other day if I had how long I had been sailing, and I said, "Well, I've been sailing for about thirty years." But um, the question you ask sailors is, "How many nautical miles have they clocked up?" And um, I was sitting beside our patron Bob Shepton at the time, so I turned to Bob and said, "How many nautical miles have you done, Bob?" And he said, "Oh, about a hundred and fifty thousand." And I was never going to go anywhere near that. So I said, I think I've done about two. That's probably an underestimate. I've, I've probably done about two to three thousand nautical miles. So it's been, I've done pretty mild sailing around um, in New Zealand, coastal sailing, and then in the UK, coastal sailing, and some in the Med on holiday. And that's about it. Um, so I'm going to hand to Nigel now. He's got more pedigree when it comes to sailing. Yeah, so I've been sailing since I was a kid in New Zealand, from dinghies through to small cruises, and um, we. I took a break, I guess, for twenty odd years doing career stuff, but then picked it up again here in London. And since then, um, I've done about six and a half thousand nautical miles, so not a huge amount. But I've got a yachtmaster qualification from the RYA, so I mean that, that was that's been helpful. Um, and I've sailed in the fast net, so I've done a lot of sailing, offshore sh sailing, which um, the fast net involved that race plus maybe ten other races offshore, averaging you know five six hundred miles at a time. Navara is interesting in that she's not a racing boat, and so I've always enjoyed being on board her. In particular, our mantra on Navara is safety, comfort, speed in that order and she's she's a very safe boat very comfortable and we don't push the speed so i, I enjoy not having to do the racing stuff um on navara and it would be fair to say that we wouldn't well i wouldn't have even considered taking on a boat the size of navara she displaces 30 tons right so she's a she's a heavy boat i wouldn't have considered taking on a boat like this without the support of Steve, because he's still involved. He's still very much engaged in our Novara project. And we've spent quite a bit of time with him training us, both in the, the mechanics and the engineering of the boat, as well as the sailing of this unique schooner era, era rig format. So um, without him, I don't think we would have ventured into this. But uh, with his support, yeah, I mean, we're now able to sail her on our own pretty much in any conditions. Yeah, oh, that's wonderful. Yeah, and she is a big boat at 60 feet. And, uh, and I'm sure listeners can pick up on the fact that, you know, we're building all this something. There's a 60 foot expedition boats and, and two sailors. So where is this leading? So let's talk about the Novara One Planet project that you are 
getting ready for. So it supports at-risk coastal communities to become climate safe. So talk to me about this. What does this look like and mean in practice? And how does it tie into two people sailing on this beautiful yacht of yours? So climate change, let's, let's start with the climate change and the climate crisis. I've been working in this climate policy finance space for 30 odd years. It's pretty clear to me that whatever we're doing is not working and that the climate impacts are increasing. And in particular, coastal communities are getting hammered. We've got storm surges, inundation, sea level rise, erosion, etc. And being sailors and having a lot to do with the sea and living in coastal communities, we're very aware that there are a lot of a lot of people at risk. So that's the kind of motivation for us is to be able to share our experience of working in this space with communities that are at risk. And it just so happens that the three areas of the globe where climate impacts on the coast are going to be most felt are in the Arctic, in the Caribbean, and in the Pacific. And those are the areas where we're heading on our way back to New Zealand. So what does it mean in practice? We are working with local communities, first of all, um, in Uh, the first port of call will be from in the um, called the Outer Hebrides up in the Western Highlands of Scotland. And the idea is that we, we turn up there and help them with training, capacity building and awareness raising of the impacts of climate on their communities. We work with them on identifying the kind of priorities that they need to address in order to make their communities climate safe. So that might be seawalls need building or they may need to, planning changes in order to shift some of their community away from some of the climate uh, sea level risks. And we also have some particular skill in terms of helping them do the planning work and accessing finance because I've worked in the climate finance space for the last 12 years. And so I have raised... Uh, in fact, I've raised hundreds of millions of euros of finance for communities to deal with their climate risks. So I have some experience about how to access the finance. So that's that's m from my side. And then Veronica has another set of skills that really help, we think would really help local communities. So I suppose my set of skills comes in slightly earlier down the track and, and that It's about leadership development and supporting those shakers and movers in the communities to keep going with whatever they're doing. My background is in coaching. I've been coaching for decades and um, executive and leadership development. So some of that may be mediation. Some of that may be facilitation. Some of that may be training. Uh, let's see when we what communities need or want um, and what's, what services we can offer that may be useful. And that's philosophically our basis, is that we're not aiming to turn up and impose something upon a, a community. It is what do we offer that could be useful to them? And if we don't offer anything that's useful to them, then so be it. But some of the, the feedback that we're having at the moment, like when I was speaking to somebody in, in one of the uh, Western, not Western Isles, in the Scottish Highlands, uh, they were talking about the necessity to have a network of people who are facing like issues around climate change adaptation. 
So some of those what may be considered softer skills, but are the ones that could be useful as well. Yeah, I can see how that combination is is a is a winning one for a project like this. And you kind of hit on a, on a good point there on that you will do and see what you can do based on what the community needs and wants. But how do you find out that? Do you do advanced research and you know generally where you go and you identify some communities? Talk to me about that process. How do you know who to help and how to help? So we are doing that at the moment. Um, and essentially what that means is contacting people. Um, predominantly, we're focused on Scotland um, and the Viking route for this year. So for this European summer. So that is Scotland, Faroe, Iceland, Greenland, Newfoundland. And then we've also made some contacts with people in the Caribbean. So we have on our board of directors um, a IPCC author on coastal communities. And, um, and his expertise and network means that he is connecting us with locals who are working in the climate change area, as well as us also saying, okay, let me talk to the Shetland Island Council and see what they're up to. So we're doing a combination of what we can do on a on a smaller level, as well as maybe a more major research project, which would be with postdocs and doctoral students, which Bruce Blavovic would be initiating. We're also really lucky to have friends and colleagues and associates who are volunteering their time to help us with the research, because you know, as you can as you can tell, we're we're not quite. We don't depart yet for another two months. That's when we start on our voyage. Um, and so we've got this two-month period. In fact, we've been working for months already um, identifying the communities. And we've got these volunteers who are helping us. They're looking, they're, they're gathering information on the climate challenges that the communities are facing in those different areas. So we're documenting that at the moment. And they're identifying the groups that are active and the contact people and helping us identify who to contact. And through that, as Veronica said, you know, we've been in touch with the Shetland Council and they want us to come and talk to um, a conference that they're organizing on climate adaptation. And similarly, the organization involved in at climate adaptation in Scotland are wanting us to come and work with the communities in the Outer Hebrides, mainly as an awareness raising thing, because you can imagine if you turn up on a a reasonable sized boat like Navara, we attract a bit of attention and we can attract people to come and look at the boat. And while they're around looking at the boat, we can talk to them about climate change adaptation challenges, get them talking about the the climate changes that they're seeing. And through that conversation, we can start our engagement with them. We are also really lucky to be working with some documentary makers and from the first part of our leg, as we deliver Novara up to the Western Highlands, we'll have a documentary maker on board through to the Shetland Islands. And he's going to be recording the stories of people that we come across. So it's not just about, you know, the whole capacity building awareness raising stuff. It's also about recording the stories of those people who are being impacted so we can start to collate stories from around the world of people who are actually being impacted. And then we can share that in some kind of documentary or YouTube channel. 
Yeah, that would be wonderful to see. And I was hoping that you do have some sort of a public facing um, element to this, because this is all very fascinating work. And uh, especially because you will be showcasing and, and talking to people from such different places like Scotland versus the Canadian Arctic versus somebody in, say, South Pacific or Caribbean island. They're facing in, you know, same problem, climate change, but different impacts. Or maybe they're somewhat similar in, in coastal communities, but uh, it's still a very different set of um, challenges that they deal. So I would love to see more and hear more about that. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. And do you sort of have, you know, you mentioned that you have a lot of people working with you sort of on and off. So it sounds like this project is more than just you two uh, doing it. Yes, um, it is more than us. <laughs> I think the, the first credit for being more than us is to Steve Brown because we would not do this without Steve's support and um, particularly going through the places that are icebound or with ice. <laughs> so uh, Steve on board as our ice pilot would be number one. And also um, um, formally we have a board of advisors um, and we've got some wonderful people in there. Pippa Lady Blake so uh, was married to Sir Peter Blake, who you know, probably know about as a as a hugely known sailor. Um, so, uh, and then Bob Shepton, who is the uh, another patron on our board of advisors, and Bob has been the yachtsman of the year twice, um, and has won the Tillman uh, medal, and as has Steve. So you know we've got some really really experienced people with us. I've mentioned um, Professor Lavovic, and we also have Victoria Jollins, who's a doctor in marine science, and she'll be working with us more in the Pacific. And Nasreen El Sam, who is a UN youth advisor on climate change. So um, we have quite a substantial lineup of people who are that's in the, the capacity of being the board of advisors. And then over and above that, we've got a really wonderful bunch of people who are assisting us as crew. And we are sailing with them, shaking down with them, figuring out who eats what and um, which ones are best at card games or not. And uh, and essentially trying to sort out um, where they will come on board and uh, over the next over the Viking route, and the aim really of this summer's expedition is to see which people we can sail with, which people you know pass the boat test of being in a confined space for a long period of time, 
so that we have a crew that we know we can work with when we go to go through the Northwest Passage. Um, and we have plenty of land-based people, as Nigel said, who are supporting us in research, and some of those are keen to crew as well. So we're very blessed to have a, a range of people. I have a slight bee in my bonnet about trying to make sure that we have a gender balance on board as as much as possible. It's word of mouth means that we attract more male sailors than female. So if there's any experienced women out there who think that this may appeal to them, then please be in touch. That's fantastic. Yeah, I would absolutely love seeing more women do this kind of work in particular. And uh, now that we talked about, you know, the work in the communities and uh, you talked a little bit about what's uh, maybe happening in Scotland. So how long are you thinking of spending in these communities or does that just depend on Will you'll find that out when you get there or is there some sort of uh, advanced planning that will spend a week here, a month, longer? It's pretty fluid. General idea is for most of the places we're talking three weeks to four weeks. But that's just uh, a rule of thumb. Depends a lot on what the communities want and it depends on the weather. Because, you know, we we have a saying on board Navara that you can say when or where, but not both at the same time. So if we're talking to a community and we're saying we're going to turn up at that place, we'll say we'll be there, but we can't promise when we'll be there because of the weather. We only sail, sail when it's safe. So, um, but roughly three weeks to a month. In the Caribbean, we are going to be overwintering there. So we're intending to be there for about four months around different communities, and we haven't worked out exactly what our route will be. And I think at the moment we've got planned, our first port of call will be in the Outer Hebrides. And I think we've got roughly three weeks allocated to spend time there. And then the next one will be Shetland Islands. And again, another three weeks there. Right, exactly. Well, it sounds like, you know, you have a proper kind of a system in place for all of this already. And you've obviously done a lot of prior research uh, into the areas that you go into and into the communities. But where did the original inspiration come from? Why are you doing this? <laughs> well, I'm assuming you have an adult audience who's listening. Um, Nigel used to sit in bed with a tablet in front of him and go, oh, look at that boat. Isn't she lovely? Oh, I like the lines on her, you know. And um, I called it boat porn, right? And um, in 2019, uh, we're both New Zealanders. In 2019, I went home, my sister died, and she was young, and um, I returned to Nigel and said, we live. So you've been talking about sailing home, let's make it happen. She called my bluff. I called his bluff. <laughs> so, so, um, so Nigel said, we do it with a purpose. I said, I'm not just sailing home the ordinary way, we sail home in a different way. So... Um, those two kind of criteria, one each, I had no idea what I was leaving myself in for, like too ignorant to know that it was, I was talking about something really bad when I suggested the Northwest Passage. Um, anyhow, so the, this is, we started the process of looking, seriously looking, as opposed to just looking online, you know. Um, and when Navara came up for sale, um, and then we went and had some time on board with her and Steve and started to discuss how could we make what was a dream become a reality. And the climate change and leadership part of the, the One Planet project is 
just evolved, I guess. We, we wanted to have a sense of purpose on our way home. Um, we've got some skills in that area and we thought, well, doesn't look like anyone else is doing much in the climate adaptation space, the helping communities with this climate impacts. And so we thought there might be a niche there for us to be able to help. And I, th I think that there's an important point that we haven't mentioned is that both of us have considerable networks of people who can have an ongoing relationship with the communities rather than us just popping in and popping out again and never being seen from. So there's something called the Coaching Climate Alliance, um, which I'm part of, and Nigel is, has a network of people who are in the climate change adaptation space as well. Uh, what you're doing is fantastic. And I love hearing that you have a fully set up system and research and experts in different areas um, assisting you and doing research with you and, and participating on this journey with you. I think it will be very impactful for the places that you'll go. We hope so. That's our, that's our aim. This Viking route this year is a pilot to see essentially how we go. Exactly. So, yeah, let's talk about the Viking route. So you were obviously going first up from southern England to up to Shetland and then off to... Faroes, Iceland, Greenland. Yeah, so we, we're hoping to get to the east coast of Greenland. That's our aim. Um, it's more isolated than the west coast and we'd really like to explore as far north there as we can. Um, bearing in mind that there are permits are needed once you get up into the there's a, a national park up there. Anyway, so east coast of Greenland, yeah, and then around to the west coast and then across to Newfoundland. Yeah, absolutely. Well, welcome to Canada in advance. Uh, that won't be too much of a, a problem then once you, you know, uh, permit-wise, it's a lot easier to just show up to uh, North America and the Caribbean. Um, and then you'll have to do some more research before you head back up to the Arctic the following year uh, for the Northwest Passage, which should be a uh, a fantastic uh, expedition to follow. Um, well, I wanted to touch on a little bit more on your sort of personal lives in like, obviously you care a lot about climate change and its impacts and it impacts everybody, not just people living in coastal communities. But is there something that you do in your personal lives that are actions against climate change or helping to adapt climate change, either you personally or, or otherwise? Well, we're going to sail home instead of buy a plane ticket. So that's that's one thing we're doing. I mean, we live in a small place. We try to be careful with our consumption patterns, which I think is really important, especially in a big city, which kind of encourages all consumption. So we live in a small flat. We've, we've spent the last 12 months decluttering and getting rid of dross so we don't have too much in terms of our possessions. Veronica is um, is vegan. I um, I tried being a vegan, but I uh, I couldn't do it. So vegetarian in, for, is for me, and so I think that's another way that we can change and have an impact on the environment through our choice of what we eat. And both of us have been working in this sort of space forever. I, I my my original background is actually in energy efficiency policy. So I'm, I'm the guy who goes around and turns off lights everywhere. But I work for the New Zealand government and then I work for the International Energy Agency as their head of energy efficiency policy there. And I think we're very aware of our energy use in our everyday life. 
and sometimes my family thinks I'm a bit weird about it. But, you know, I'll tell you a little story here because one of the things that we are in New Zealand is we, we don't do nuclear energy, right? That's very much part of my DNA and this whole energy sustainability space that I started my career in. I started working soon after the Chernobyl accident in 87. And um, it's hard for people who haven't been to a place like Chernobyl to understand the impact that their energy consumption has. You know, we all have our lights on and use electricity and fuel and so on, but it has an impact on the environment. And it's very, it's very easy to see that direct impact when you go to a place like the Chernobyl exclusion zone. And for a romantic weekend for two, I took Veronica there once uh, because I do a lot of work in Eastern Europe, Central Asia. And um, so I took Veronica to Chernobyl. And this was before the war on Ukraine. And it was it was quite an experience going into the exclusion zone and seeing that's the impact of us with our voracious appetite to consume energy, the potential for this kind of accident. So anyway, that was a bit of a long Long answer. That, that's kind of thing that we do in our lives. Veronica, do you want to add anything? Just that when we arrived in, because um, we were living in New Zealand, which is very reliant because we don't have good public transport systems on the on individuals driving cars. And when we got to Paris, we had five years in Paris when Nigel worked for the International Energy Agency without a vehicle. And, and then the first five years we lived in London, we didn't have a vehicle either. So, you know, we would rent one occasionally and, you know, it's not, we're not purists about this, but it was, it was very, it's very possible in places where the systems allow for you to live a life that works without having that private vehicle ownership. So that was a bit of an eye opener to be in a place where we could do that. Yeah, absolutely. Those are all really good examples. Uh, and obviously you are now in the, I'd say may almost final stages of preparation a couple of months ago before the big start. And we talked about your boat right at the beginning and boats equals boat work. So one needs doing on the boats or is it already waiting at the dock, ready to go? Someone once said, there's no boat since Noah that's been ready for an expedition. And that's going to be us as well, I think. That was Bob. I think he was quoting someone else. I can't remember, but anyhow, the, the point stands. Um, we've actually done quite a lot of work on Navara over the last 18 months. She's had the mass lifted and um, significant work done on them, rebuilt essentially, and then re-stepped. And um, we thought, okay, brilliant. We've got the winter, the you know, the autumn and spring to start really getting some sail training underway and then the steering broke. So um, we've had to have the steering repaired as well. And so we had a gorgeous trip last weekend where we went from Dover up the Thames um, and then anchored in the Medway on the way back and then back to Dover again. And part of that was to get solar panels on board. So there was always improvements to be done. There's always work to be done, as you know. And she's 26 years old now. Navara. So it would be unrealistic to think that we're going to sail away and never have to do anything more. But she has a wonderful workshop and both Nigel's and my skills in being able to work on her, Nigel's more than mine, um, are growing on a daily basis. Nigel's very familiar with the bilges. 
Yeah, let me give you a let me give you a, a list of things that we've been doing or that that we have on the way. So apart from repairing the entire steering quadrant, which is um, it's a Whitlock Mamba system, so it's of beveled gears. It's very robust, except there's one design fault on Navara. The um, the gearbox beveled gear position faces upwards and gets any seawater that's going from the cockpit it ended up in the in the gearbox so that rusted that out that's why it broke so we've now solved that one um we've, we're putting on 1200 watts of solar panels um so we've built the frames and they go on uh this weekend um we're installing we have iridium pilot um satellite navig- satellite communication um, but we're also putting on a 4g extender aerial so that we can use the mobile phones when we're further offshore. So we'll be able to pick up mobile phone signal from about 20 miles offshore. That's important because we're intending to work on board and we want to have good 4G coverage. We've got, um, we're rebuilding the inside of the, the workshop to make sure that we've got enough stowage. We're putting in a washing machine because Steve tended to sail with blokes who didn't bother washing clothes or anything. Um, we're going to be, this is going to be our home. Um, so we're going to have a washing machine on board and rebuilding a lot of the storage area in the cockpit, which at the moment is just this enormous cavern. And we want to add some, some order to that. And then the general things that are, you know, things break all the time, um, the control for the very prop. So we've got a variable pitch propeller. The switch for that broke the other day. So I need to replace that. Things are breaking all the time, you know. It's a boat. It gives you a sense. We're pretty much done, you know. We could leave tomorrow and we'd be able to cope. We've got all the spares on board that we need and we carry plenty of fuel. We carry 2,000 litres of fuel and 2,000 litres of water. We've got a big – oh, the water maker. The water maker um, packed up, so I need to look at sorting that out on the weekend. Yeah, so you'll have – yeah, you know what to do on the weekends then. <laughs> For sure. So I mentioned earlier that you do have a website. I know you have an Instagram account. Is there any other way people can connect with you and follow your journey once you get going? They can also also email us. We're really open to um, having people who want to connect with us. So those links are on the website. Perfect. Yeah, we've got Facebook, Instagram, and we'll we'll be starting a YouTube channel. We haven't quite got around to that yet. Yeah, that will be fascinating. I can't wait to see your updates from the from the journey because it sounds like it will be a good three years at least before you get to New Zealand. Thereabouts. thereabouts. <laughs> yeah. yeah, fantastic. Well, Nigel and Veronica, thank you so much for sharing more about your project. I can't wait to see you get going. Great. Thank you so much. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode. I hope you found Nigel and Veronica's project as fascinating as I did. If you want to follow along on their journey, make sure to check out their social media pages and website, which I have linked below in the description. Their adventure has just begun, and I can't wait to see what they accomplish. Next week, we'll be featuring another incredible adventure, this time from the perspective of a solo sailor. So be sure to tune in. Until then, bye for now.
Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.